This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. But um, I'm, I'm going to sort of give a quick introduction as to what we've been speaking about. The theme is, is there not a cause? And um, we started off in 1 Samuel 17 where David arrives on the scene with his brother um, really telling him, hey, what are you doing here? You've got bad motives, da da da, da. And, um, and th- just before he goes up against Goliath, um, he asks this question, is there not a cause? It's, and it's not a nice time. It's not like, um, this is like, hey, let's drink pineapple drinks and just go on against Goliath. The people were in fear and they were trembling. It was, it was a crazy time. And so with this fear, David goes and he finds these little stones and he goes up against Goliath and he says, I do not come to you in my own strength, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of the hosts of heaven. Because he saw God, he knew who God was. And in 1 Samuel 17, 28 to 40, we see that in the middle, he asks his brother this question while his brother is just like gunning for him and saying, go back to the sheep, go back to, just be ordinary, just just be, go back to your comfort zone or your complacency, don't don't do anything, and and he sort of questions them, his motives, and then he says, "Is there not a cause?" And then we we jumped and we started to break down the book of First Peter, and um, we almost have started at the back, and today we're going to work to the front. Okay, so so it's a backwards sermon or series, um, and the context of Peter, the book of Peter, was written to a group of believers that were entering into a massive time of persecution and suffering and challenges as the church. So he's writing it to a lot of different believers all over the place. And and there's certain things that he brings to them in that time of trouble, in that time of challenges. And um and so we, we looked looked at some of those things of what he's you know just of what happens when we go through tough times, you know, because most Christians today say, Lord, take away the tough times, take, remove it. And then he said, no, but the Lord will, will perfect you. He will establish you. He will, he will do things. He will lay foundations in your life for generations to come. So don't just pray for tough times to go away. Pray in the tough times to find God. And, um, and so he, um, we jump here into First Peter 5 verse 1. It says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And then we read in verse 6, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him. Then he said, We must be sober. Then he said, You must resist the devil. And verse 10, we jumped on and it says, But may the God of all grace who called us to this eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And then we looked in the first week already on what those words meant. And I'm not going to go into all of them again, but perfect means to restore, establish, strengthen, and settle. So those were the four words that he actually, you can almost, if you don't go to the original words, you can almost miss the meaning of the result of going through suffering times, what, suffering times, what will happen in your life when there are some tough things happening? And then last week we jumped on and we looked at if we as individuals are going through tough times, then 
How does God look at, at a city or an area or a region? And then we jump to Jeremiah 29, Christus um, scripture. We always quote the back and we say, hey, I've got plans to give you a future and a hope and to prosper you. Um, but it's in the context of this group of Israelites going and being 70 years in slavery. <laughs> And um, and then God gives them some instruction in that place where they are. He says, hey, you must multiply, pray for the peace of the place. And we looked at that. How do we, that even in the troubling times out there, in this world that we are facing, then God says, hey, I've, I've got plans to prosper you. Uh, we like to quote it on a little uh, bread scripture and say, oh, God, the Lord wants to prosper me. He wants me to have utopia with him all the time. Um, it's going to be wonderful at my work. It's going to be wonderful in my family. Um, but in that context, it's actually where the whole Israel for 70 years are going through tough times. And he gives them very specific instructions. And then we ended last week where we, where we looked at um, how... God looked at Sodom and Gomorrah and what he said and how he even spoke about cities and he would refer to him and says, hey, your sister and this city and he would, because God has got a heart for our region, whether you know it or not. And you and I have not just the cause as an individual to tackle the giants in our lives, but for us as a group of people and believers, there's a lot of giants in this area. And the way we live, the way we conduct ourselves will either bring redemption to this city or it will actually just make the city go on in the same way that it's always been going. Um, and then we spoke about strongholds and, and something like over Stellenbosch is Bacchus, which is a drinking spirit and uh, intellectual spirits that you'll see a lot of pride, you know, and, and especially over Sodom and Gomorrah, God said, hey, there's a couple of things I have against you. Because you have got so much pride in your heart, uh, and because you don't look after the needy and the poor, therefore I've I've done with you what I seem fit. I've, I, you know, I always thought it's like just the immoral stuff in Sodom and Gomorrah. But God looks not just at at a group of individuals sitting here; He looks at people that re- represent Him, and people that stand before Him representing a whole town. And we're going to get back to that a little bit later. Are you with me? Just give me sharp, sharp. Okay, that's what we did in the past two weeks, just for everybody to catch up. And um, 1 Peter 1 verse 3, that's where we're going to jump in. So now we go to the first book again. Are, are you with me? So we're going to break down scripture a little bit. It is tough sometimes if we want to want to exegete scripture over three or four weeks because lots of people miss it, so we take it a bit slower. Um, but I love what somebody said this week that really, really challenged me. He says, hey, the spirit and the word should work together. You know, um, there's, a, there's always a group of people that say, no, just the word, just the word. And other people say, no, the spirit, the freedom. But they should never go like this. They should always work together like this. Because theology, all of us are theologians. Did you know that? Because theology is about the study of God. And there are some people that dedicate them to theology, and that's great. But everybody should study the Word. And the more you get into the Spirit, the more you get into the Word. Amen. Okay. It's just sometimes practical, not always so easy for us as a church to go for six weeks through the book of Galatians. Because that would have been the best. But if everybody came to church every week, then that would have been 
much easier. Are, are, are you with me? So some people always ask like, like, oh, hey, why don't we do like these 10-week courses? Because it's just not practical. But let's get into the word. First Peter 1, verse 3 to 5. Lord, we thank you that your word is eternal. Thank you, Lord, that you open up our spirits, that it's your word is alive, living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And we submit to your word. Holy Spirit, you're the one that leads us into all truth. And we want to thank you for that in Jesus' name. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. Say living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance. Say an inheritance. Incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. This is where he starts. He says, guys, you're going to go into persecution. You're going to go into tough times. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because you don't have a dead hope, you have a living hope that is comes out of the resurrection of Christ. And not just a living hope, you've also got an inheritance. And that inheritance is incorruptible, undefiled, and it does not fade away. If you look at those words, I, I really feel like a deep theologian because I went to write all those big words down there. An inheritance is a settled and a secure possession. It's like the idea of the promised land in the Old Testament. And he uses those three words. It's imperishable or incorruptible. It's like, he says, when an army invades you and invades a city and a place, you still have a peace despite what happens around you. That's what the word incorruptible or say that very quickly. Okay. Incorruptible. Then he says that inheritance that we have as Christians, we have a hope that's anchored in the resurrection, but we have an inheritance is also undefilable. It talks about a purity and a holiness which the sin of the world cannot defile. You know, so many people are so afraid of the world and, oh, the world is going to contaminate me. But your inheritance and that place that you as a Christian, I have a Christian as, is, it's undefilable and then it's unfading. It, it's not rusty. It doesn't need maintenance. You know, how many of you spent some time yesterday maintaining the house? Every week it's decay. You just think like, oh my God, those uncried. What is uncried? Uncried, you know, in English. You know, it, it's just like, you've just cleaned this, Donnie. Where's Donnie? I saw him here. You've just cleaned this beautiful pot plant the next week those stuff grows in between. You know, it's like, what on earth is happening? But he says here to the Christians, he says, we, the inheritance that you and I have and the living hope that we have is really completely different. It's imperishable, undefilable, and unfading. What is, what is that inheritance? Is it a promised land? Is it heaven? He doesn't actually say. He doesn't tell us what it is, but when we go back to Scripture and we really look at our ultimate inheritance, we can find it in Psalm 16, verse 5 to 9. Oh Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I've set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. God is your inheritance, not heaven. God is your exceedingly great reward. 
And when you meet with God, and when all of this fades away, there's not just a living hope, but we realize that is what I live for. I live to meet Him, to know Him. When I get to heaven, heaven is about God. Heaven is not about escaping from the world. <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> so, so, so that's what he's beginning to talk about. And he says, guys, you're going to go through tough times and all this stuff that happens in your life. Realize that there's a hope, there's an anchor for your soul. But more than that, there's an inheritance. And God is the portion of that inheritance. So you and I, now I want us to jump back. I'm going to throw all the slides around a little bit. So I want, to, I want us to jump back because that first scripture that we read in First Peter 5. I'm going to just talk about that a little bit. Let me just, sorry, scroll up here a little bit. In 1 Peter 5, we also almost read over it, but I want us to jump back. Um, we'll just go one back to, to verse 4. Another one back. This is, this is sort of what he says. He says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Now... It is, it is actually amazing. He says, he says, after that, he says, hey, come to God in humility, resist the devil, do all those stuff. But he says, because right at the beginning, the, the inheritance of our lives, we, what we're aiming at is that there's going to be a chief shepherd. We're going to look him in the eyes and, and then what is going to happen is he's going to put a crown of glory on your head. I always thought it's like these little princess crowns, but, um, it's actually like, have you seen in the Olympics? This is a fake one, okay? But in the Olympics, they would make a, a little crown like this. When you won the race, some finished the race, then they had this leaves, olive branches, and all this stuff. And when you finish, or especially when you win, you get like a crown for winning. But it wasn't, the word wasn't the word winning, it was the word overcoming. Overcoming. So he says here that when when you go through all this stuff in your life, when you are challenged with all of this stuff, there's going to be a crown, but it's not a crown made of silver and gold that shines and say, oh, this is so wonderful. Look at my crown. Oh, mine shines more than yours. You know, oh, lekker, lekker. You know, I've got 10 diamonds in my crown. How many diamonds have you got? No, no. It's bragging rights because you've overcome. And he says that's what he's going to do. It's a crown of glory because God gives glory to those who despite the onslaughts in your life, despite the Goliaths, you know, despite the, the things that happen in your life, God wants something. He wants you to overcome. God takes joy when you overcome. Isn't it like that parents, eh? When we have small kids and that kid begins to walk for the first time. We go, yay, yay, walk. Walk, and then we regret it for the next 10 years, you know, but in any case, <laughs> but that moment when that kid stands up and walks on their own, it's like as if it's the first kid that has ever walked on the face of the earth. We take videos, put it on Facebook, you know, and all the other people just say, oh, we've seen that, you know, that's ah, what, you know, but for you, it's like my kid started to walk. My kid took a step and conquered something, <laughs> 
And then in your, in your heart as a parent, now all the single people, you'll get there, you know. But it's like, whoa, there's such a joy when somebody does something that they couldn't do before. It's called overcoming. And that is what God is looking for because he, he says that, that crown of glory will not fade away because the, the word there is actually, it, and I, I can't, I, I wrote it down, but I can't, re, I can't even pronounce the word. Let me see where I wrote it down. It's, it's um, amaranth flower. All the other olive trees would fade away and after a day or two, all the leaves would, but the amaranth flower, that's the Greek word for that, is one that never fades away. It doesn't grow dull. It doesn't hang off. It's like glorious. So, so, so when you and I, you know, I, I've always been looking and say, oh Lord, take away the stuff in my life, Lord, the sufferings and the offense with the people and the things and Lord, we, we're all desiring, oh Lord, if I can, if I can just get to that utopia and God says, no, no, I want you, I want you to go through this. Isn't it amazing? Right through scripture, whoever is born of God has overcome this world and even in that our faith so so there's some stuff and obstacles that are going to come your way in my life and we all have i wish we had time to go through one through the other and say hey what were the stuff that you had to face what were the times when your marriage didn't work out what were the times when when stuff just all hell broke loose and then all you have is you have a hope and you have an inheritance you say god i i I hope my hope is in you (laughs) Because I know who you are. And my inheritance are you. Isn't it amazing that that word for hope is, it says it's an anchor for your soul. When the boat goes like this, you've got an anchor down. <laughs> because God gives a hope. He stirs a hope inside of you. and say, wow, Lord. It's an eternal hope. But what the world wants you to do is the world wants you to give in. The world wants you to submit to all the stuff that it throws at you. Because, hey... Let's just be comfortable. Let's just make life as easy as possible. And that's not the message of the gospel. <laughs> Jesus says, hey, they persecuted me, so they will persecute you. He says, you're going to go, they will deliver you up. Don't worry what you're going to say. <laughs> I'm not promoting persecution today, but isn't it amazing that in the West we don't go to conferences. I remember we went to a conference in, the, in one of the persecuted church and um, the theme of the conference was how to receive persecution with thanksgiving and gladness something like, i can't remember the exact word but how to endure persecution with thanksgiving and gladness that was the theme of the conference not like hey catch your fire yeah oh god god is in it for you I wonder if we would hold a conference like that. How many people in the West would come? Just just think about that. No, 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 Lord, because this, I didn't sign up for this. But you know, that's the reason why so many Christians are offended. That's the reason why so many people get hurt in church because their expectations are wrong. And if you have the wrong expectations and you think God is just going to do great things for you and he will do great things for you and he does bring breakthrough and he does prosper us, amen? But there's sometimes when there's stuff going to stand before you that you need to walk through and you need to conquer it and you need to face it and you need to look at God that is bigger than that Goliath in front of you. Is there not a cause? But you know what? The, the cause is greater than just us as individuals. God will set you up 
then to have a legacy and leave a legacy. And, and when you receive that crown of glory, it's because he's the chief shepherd. And, 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 and that's why I can start here in verse 5. And it says, okay, now guys, listen, younger people, submit to these, resist the devil. He goes on to be very practical. practical but he says the focus is the chief shepherd is going to appear. And he's got a crown for you. Some of us look at that stuff that we are challenged with, with shame. <laughs> Some of us want to run away from this pain of our past. And God wants to heal and restore us. But it's some of that stuff that God says, hey, you were faithful. Because he doesn't say, hey, well done, good and amazing preacher. Well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that what he's going to say? And then, then that crown will come. It doesn't fade away. Sure, turn to your neighbor and say, focus, focus, like in Nigeria. <clears throat> okay, we focus. <laughs> okay, all still with me? Quickly, I want you to share with somebody next to you one big challenge that you overcame with God. Not with God with you. <laughs> Not like, oh God, I had to overcome you. No, no, just one thing in your life maybe that you had to overcome and you've got a testimony of overcoming. If, if you want to. Don't, if you don't want to, that's fine. But just quickly with somebody next to you. Just one quick thing, 30 seconds. Some, somewhere where you had to overcome something and, and that sweet place of, of, of conquering and conquest. And, and you can do it with a smile. It's actually like, whoa, it was actually like nice, okay? <laughs> Some hot, it was so tough. I, knew, I don't actually want to talk about it. I never want to go there again. I remember um, growing up on a farm, and I think I was six years old. We're still before school, so the big mother piggy got twelve piglets, and I thought that would be amazing dogs. <laughs> so, so we decided that we are gonna get those little piglets and and we're going to train them ourselves so there was this big you know and i don't eat pig meat because i know what they eat what pigs eat all the other stuff that you don't want to eat but um but so 
So we had this plan that we're going we're gonna to get into this crawl area, this big area with the walls, and then one, is, one of us is going to distract the, the piggy, mother piggy, on that side, and then the others is going to run, grab one of the piglets, and then go. But it's going to take 40 seconds, and then you must be over the wall. Otherwise, there's trouble. So we eeny, meeny, miny, mo. You know, uh, these days, ching chong chai. We didn't do that then, but it was that's that's old school. So I was the one who needed to go and grab the piglet, and my other friend needed to go. My nephew actually needed to go and distract this mother pig. So, so he ran over, and the, then the pig went for him. Um, and so he stood there and made all that stuff, and then I ran, and then. I didn't actually realize, but now these piglets started to scream like crazy, just like piglets can. So I'm running around, and I'm grabbing this one, and I'm going like, do-do-do. I can still see chariots of fire playing, do-do-do-do. And this big mother running behind me, do-do-do-do. And I take one jump, and I didn't make it. <laughs> Piglet flying that way, I'm flying that way. And and then the mother came and she grabbed my hand and she ripped the skin from my hand like it's like you know and I looked at it and I thought like oh that's how that that's how the bones in your hand look like you know because the skin was hanging like this and and I'm saying no I didn't do that (laughs) I was just oh you know let me get over the wall so when I got over the wall I put all the stuff back you know and then. You know, I was just thinking like, oh, I'm dead, I'm dead, you know, because when men, men, our pain threshold is just so low, you know. I I had a bit of a virus this week and it felt like it's Armageddon. You know, I don't know, hallelujah, praise God for ladies. But in any case, so, but so now I'm running and they, they had to stitch it all up and all that stuff. But but still today, there's, there's a scar here in, on my hand of what happened uh, 15, what? 15 years ago, when I, when, I, when I was six, but, um, you know, and so, um, but the first couple of weeks, if I would touch that, it, my whole hand was swollen up, everything, I, I would feel I'm going to die, but eventually it healed, and my hand is in perfect working order, but you know what, the scar has never gone, the scar is still there. And isn't it spiritually sometimes that the devil comes to us and he wants to push those wounds and say, no, you actually have a wound. And it's just, it's actually a battle scar. There are many of us that walk around with spiritual scars. And, and we are sometimes ashamed of it. Sometimes we've, we've forgotten about those times. And, and uh, the, the picture I got as I was praying, like of David Livingston coming, and they, the story goes that as he would go from tribe to tribe, that sometimes he would make covenant with some of these tribes. And then there were some very violent tribes that would come against him as he would travel down Africa to bring the gospel. And then every time, all he did, he didn't say words, he didn't try to bring an army, he didn't have an army, but all he would do is he would lift up his hand and then the scars would show of the pacts that he made with a lot of the tribal leaders that would say, if you kill me, all these people would come against you. Now that's a spiritual picture 
that God wants to redeem in our lives of some of the scars we have. And this is why in 1 Peter 2, he goes on and he says, through all of these things and all of this stuff, he says the church is like a, like a building blocks. It's like a living stone. You are a living stone. You're being built up by God. And then we jump into verse 9. And he says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So when the spiritual realm even looks at you and I today, especially if you are yielded to the Holy Spirit, firstly, the spiritual realm sees somebody that's been washed by the blood of Jesus. They see the scars of Jesus. It's, it's the blood. So, so, so you are marked by the blood of Jesus, spiritually. And then if you are spirit-filled, the Bible says there's also a seal on your life. Arabon, it's almost like a down payment. It's like an engagement ring that you have on. So when people come against you or the devil wants to come against you, then he doesn't just think like, oh, here's Vainat. No, no, no. Whoops. Here's the full authority and the force of Christ and the fullness of the Holy Spirit is in his life and over his life. And, and, and that's what the devil tries to con us out of is to think that when you come against your Goliath that you come in your own strength. Well, my Chona. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives inside of me and the life that I now live, I live in faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So in First Peter, what he begins to build up onto is he says, you are a different nation. You are a royal priesthood. If you can only recognize that, and I've told this story many times, you know, there's a lady that got out of green roofs, Grundakis, where all the people that lose their minds are, and people prayed for her, she got healed, she got delivered, and she said she was a, a type of a satanic witch doctor, like a priestess, and she said she would walk down the streets here in Stellenbosch, and she would by a mile, see who are the spiritful Christians. She would many times walk to the other side of the road because she didn't want to put her curses on them because of the light that was shining out of darkness into his marvelous light. She says the only problem all those years that she had, she couldn't figure it out. Why did these people that had so much light look so defeated? Why did these people that had so much light look so defeated? And sometimes we must ask God, say, God, show me what I look like in the spiritual realm. So what is, what is a priest? A priest is a bridge builder. He has access to God and his task is to bring others to God. And then the second thing that a priest does, that word pontifex, is somebody that brings spiritual offerings or sacrifices to God. Spiritual service, spiritual worship. So what you and I are doing here today is we're not just singing nice songs, that, you know, oh no, don't, don't like that. We are priests coming into the presence of God, bringing our battle scars, bringing 
everything before him and say, God, with my good stuff and with my bad stuff, I'm worshiping you. I'm bringing spiritual sacrifices to you. But not just that, Lord. I understand that you have called me to be a bridge builder to this town and to this nation. Because that priest had all the stones, he had 12 stones on his breastplate with all the names of the tribes. So when I come before God, it's not just me. I can bring the redemption and I can bring the cause of a town and of a nation to God, especially when I intercede. And now, now my job, part of that, and that's why intercession is so important, is I need to build that bridge. I need to cry and say, God, have mercy on us. Lord, we don't deserve rain. But you are a merciful God. Standing in the gap. Service and sacrifice. But then he goes on and he says, is to proclaim the praises of God. And the, I love this word. It's, just go to the next slide. This is the last slide and then we're going to take communion together. He says, is to tell forth the excellencies of God. To witness to men concerning the mighty acts of God. And that includes all your scars. That includes all your weaknesses. And bragging about God. Say, I've got an inheritance. I've got a God that is so big. He saved me out of darkness. He's maybe still busy saving me into his marvelous light. But I'm going to tell forth the excellencies of God. That's my highest reward in this life is to worship Him. To bring up spiritual sacrifices to Him. And so remember again, it's in the context of people that are suffering greatly. (laughs) But isn't, don't we have so many examples like Paul and Silas in prison in the middle of the night. Oh Lord, save us from this place. Oh, we're in prison. God, have you recognized these people are ugly with us? Oh Lord, this is so tough on me. Lord, just deliver me from all evil. And this is evil. Nuh-uh. They just go down. And say, Lord, whether you open the doors or not, we will praise you. Your excellencies will be known. By the time the doors swing open, they don't even recognize the doors are open. Because it was never about the breakthrough. The breakthrough will come when you see who God is. And so the challenge for us today, and that's what we're going to do around communion, is don't run away from the stuff that God is doing in your life. Don't run away from the tough times. Embrace it and say, God, I want to be part of a bride that conquers, that is a real nation, a priesthood before you. And the devil, he's going to accuse you. The devil is going to come against you. The devil is going to just say, no, 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 back down, back down. You've, done, you've been there. You've tried that. You were once excited about God. You did say once there was a cause and now everything faded away. So now we just settle back for normality. I'm not saying being fundamental. I'm just saying about that thing in your heart. And somebody once said to me many years ago that I'll never forget. He said to me, how much do you long for Christ to return? What a reality is that in your life? Because that's the barometer. That's the barometer. If we live our lives to say, God, Jesus, when I stand before you, 
Is this going to be you and me? But that eyes, you will never be able to look away. That moment when eternity kicks off. And he says, well done. I'm going to put a crown on your head. You're not going to even worry about the crown. Because you're going to see who he is. But see, the world cons us. The world lies to us. And we get busier and busier. Because he wants to steal your hope. But there's a living hope. <laughs> there's an inheritance that doesn't fade, that doesn't pass away, that doesn't, doesn't go shipwreck. There's an eternity one day when we stand as his pride before him. And he's going to say, hey. There's a guy who's going to preach here, Jan. He's, um, he's planted churches in Wellington and Japan and all the places. And he shared his testimony. Please go and watch it on Facebook. It's on Facebook Live. He shared like three hours, but just go and watch the, the, the are two sessions. In the first session, he shares his testimony of how he was an intense skeptic. And he married his wife, was saved, and it was just crazy. Nothing worked out. And one night he was lying in the bath, and obviously his wife has been praying for him and praying for him. And then suddenly he goes into a vision of how somebody puts him on a horse. And then they start to ride. And he says, well, because he's... Been no spirituality, anything spiritual, he would just run a mile. I'm not going to tell the whole testimony, but eventually they end up at a banqueting table. They end up at a banqueting table, and then he realizes it's Jesus. So Jesus takes him off the horse next to the table, and he says the following. Father, this is Jan. I've been talking about him to you. He said there was no altar call. There was no prayer of salvation. He got radically saved on the spot. Because Jesus has been talking to the Father about Jan. And Jesus is talking to the Father about you every day. You have a high priest. You have an intercessor. You have a mediator. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.